Hi, my friends. I do this work with all my heart for you. So please contribute generously to Future Primitive. Hi, my friends who listen to Future Primitive. I'm very happy to be welcoming for the third time to our program Kingsley Dennis, PhD. He is an author, researcher, and sociologist. Kingsley worked in the sociology department at Lancaster University, UK, and has authored numerous articles on social futures, technology, and and conscious evolution. He is the author of Breaking the Spell, An Exploration of Human Perception, New Revolutions for a Small Planet, The Struggle for Your Mind, and A New Consciousness for a New World. He is also the co-author with Erwin Laszlo of Dawn of the Akashic Age. Kingsley is co-founder of World Shift International, which is a conscious evolution initiative that promotes and supports a world shift both externally within our current global systems as well as internally. His newest book is The Phoenix Generation, A New Era of Connection, compassion, and consciousness. And he is on the phone with us from his house in Andalusia, Spain. So, uh, welcome, Kingsley. And... Hello, Joanna. Thank you. (laughs) And uh, thank you for having me back as well. That's always a good sign. Good, good. It's, I love talking with you. So, this is exciting. The Phoenix Generation. Who are these people? That's uh, a question to start with, Joanna. Um, the Phoenix Generation, and I have to admit that I don't particularly like categorizing anyone or anything, um, but I wanted a, a, a kind of identifier. And so I'm talking about the generation of of new people being born into the world now and in the years ahead. So the fixed generation really just um, relates to, um, as I say, people being born around now. It could have been a few years before, but more or less in this beginning of the, the, let's say, second decade of the 21st century, around now, and who will become teenagers around 2030. Mm-hmm. So it, it's marking the difference between what has gone before and um, a generation of people being born into a world which is, um, has been trying to re-establish itself and uh, re-establish uh, new systems and is more technologically based. So whereby we and our generation have been trying to adapt to new technologies and a, a global world, 
uh, the Phoenix generation will be those who will be born into a world that they will already know it as being, uh, let's say, te technologically connected, um, a, a world um, more or less without borders in one sense. And, um, and I refer to them as rather than being born into change, as many of us are, they will be born as change. That is signifying that they um, will be, um, be born with a different way of thinking and therefore uh, they will be the change themselves uh, rather than us who are often struggling with trying to uh, create change out of this um, unbalanced world that we're living in. So that perhaps is the, uh, the, the brief answer to your question, Joanna. Well, you know, reading your chapters of your book just made me so happy because I often feel that if one looks at change uh, in a historical way, consciousness is evolving just fine, thank you. I mean, I really, that's really my feeling is that Consciousness is doing a very good job at expanding, and people are doing mostly a good job at letting themselves be expanded. So that's sort of what I picked up from your book. Yes, and that's right. It's looking at change as being a part of a natural, organic unfolding. And change always comes through generations and, uh, and through uh, natural cycles. So, um, you know, when we look at the, the mainstream news and we see a lot of the distasteful, um, quite um, distracting and, and depressing news we see, it may, it may seem um, hard to realize that there is great, um, great unfolding and, and real change in terms of consciousness taking place. But if you look at the bigger picture and yeah. you see that over the, especially the last century, but incredibly so the last um, few decades, and um, especially coming out of the post-war years and, and the improvements in transcendental uh, uh, philosophy, psychologies, and mm -hmm. what we see is that there's been a tremendous uh, inner world developing within, within humankind. And we have the vocabulary for that. So uh, the previous generations, for example, if we were talking to our grandparents or those, um, you know, my, my grandparents, if I mentioned a Freudian slip, for example, my, my grandparents would say, well, who's Freud and where did they slip? Mm -hmm. So, you know, they, they, they didn't have that vocabulary and they didn't have that inner world that was be beginning to be explored at the early start of the century. Now, within the 20th century, that inner world has, has really gone through a great exploration, experimentation as well, which, which you know very well, Joanna. Mm -hmm. um, so we can say that, you know, we've gone through quite a, a radical shamanizing of the human species. And so when we look at that, we see that it is a kind of inner world unfolding, an almost evolutionary process of consciousness. So that, I think, is going to come about uh, quite extensively with a generation to come. And, and plus, what I feel is that there's going to be a, a, um, uh, also a shift over to um, younger people who are going to be trusting more their 
their intuition and their instinct, uh, a form of, of their own gnosis. Mm-hmm. And so when you combine that with the, uh, the technology to connect on a global scale, I think we, you know, there's many elements which we're going to see a, a great um, of change. It, it may seem to some people um, quite uh, radical, but I think it's a natural process, but it's coming uh, at a more accelerated pace, but it's generational. I mean, I, I'm I'm drawn to ask you this question um, when you speak about the fact that, uh, yes, uh, there's been uh, a tremendous inner exploration and the language that has developed from that exploration. But what about uh, the fact that there are, there seem to be uh, many different um levels of understanding by people on this planet. How about the fact that uh, um, it's not uh, it's not a, uh, a, a an awakening of everybody. Everybody uh, awakens to whatever it is where they are. What about the fact that there are people who are in a completely different state of mind? I think that's part of the, the different waves coming in. I think we can see, you know, first wave, second wave of of of, um, of thinking patterns, consciousness, and people. And we're not all at the same stage, but right. I think the actual shift is starting to occur now. Okay. So I think a lot of it is that we um, we are really we are products of cultural conditioning, yes. and that's been a lot stronger um, in in. Let's say up until now, in recent years, especially with the the engine of propaganda that the uh, that the authoritative structures have, and that's been also um, empowered by the uh, media and the um, the channels of communication. And so, you know, we are products of of nationalism, and um, and I think the global stage has has played out these national this national great game, as they called it. Um, but I think the age of empires is over. And um, it's no longer going to be the case because the world is so interdependent that there can no longer be one empire only. Although I think we're we're kind of um, let's say, in one sense, suffering the the last vestiges of the of the final empire. Yes. But when we look at now the a lot of the global players, whether it's the, the, the so-called BRICS, Brazil, Russia, Indonesia, right. China. And, South Africa, mm-hmm. you know, they're all vying for a different space on the map. Um, what I think has happened over the last few decades is that we've gone through the wave of globalization and the wave of neoliberalism, and for better or for worse, but we're moving towards, a, a, in a sense, a planetary society in that people are now connecting uh, across these, these physical borders. Um, now, the first wave is that there's a lot of uh, contestation, there's different opinions. Mm-hmm. But if we look at some of the voices, we find that there's a greater um, coherency between the younger people. And we see that the younger people don't want war. Okay. They don't want conflict. Yes. And I think there's a different value set coming through. And so I think that that is part of a later wave. The earlier wave is still has different conditioning and, and still trying to uh, deal with uh, different ideologies, and I think now we're moving over to, uh, let's say, a greater empathic connection, 
And I think the younger people who are, are going to be um, people who will spearhead that shift because they've had enough of the the older old guard ideology of conflict and you know the other person is the enemy and them versus us. So I think they're going to see through that and they're going to reach a place where they're saying, well, you know, we no longer want that. We don't want the conflict, the control, the competition. We want values of connection, communication, coherence, and a new consciousness. And I think that is going to come through. But that does take a new generation to come up and stand up for it. Yes, absolutely. I uh, want to look at some of the uh, points that you make beginning by the fact that you say that education will be very different and in view of the fact that the classroom is becoming global. And so would you speak about that? Yes, and I think education is one of the, you know, it's one of the uh, prime central significant areas because that's where so much of the previous social conditioning uh, was established. And really, I mean, I think, We all understand that the educational systems we have are uh, relics of the industrial age. You know, they were relics of the workhouses where they put the young children in to teach them just enough to to shift them off to their workforce, to the uh, you know to, to um, read, write, and you know, and be in the factories. So, and and even when I was at school, and I, I can say quite a lot about this because, um, I, as you know, I've been in education many years and been a teacher and worked mm -hmm. at university. But when I was at school, when I was talking to the person next to me, you know, I got my my hand proverbially slapped for cheating. You know, if we if we talked to the person next to us, it was called cheating. Mm -hmm. Where I think the new paradigm is uh, actually to promote speaking to other people, and it's called collaboration. It's a completely different mindset. And so we've seen it already with um, the classrooms uh, online and um, the new initiatives there. For example, the Khan Academy is one well-known one where lessons are being put into videos online for students to connect with. Um, there's lots of different um, new courses coming online. So what's happening, I think, is that the classroom is not only going to be seen as the, the four walls. And that I think even education uh, technology is coming into the into the classroom and connecting children to actually collaborate on projects around the world. And this is being developed actually first in, in such countries as India. There's a lot of projects out there and which encouraging uh, students in more impoverished classrooms to connect with mentors and peers in, in more developed classrooms and to learn from each other. So I'm not saying that one's going to completely replace the other, but I think the first wave is that technology is going to enhance a broader classroom so we can supplement the four walls of, of the, um, of the uh, classrooms we have at the moment to actually create projects with people in other classrooms and to learn from each other, and also to put people in different age groups so older children can mentor younger ones. Yes. And I think this is going to be the first wave, and also allowing perhaps um, such visual aids as, as puzzle games, visual learning games, multiplayer games to supplement, again, the curriculum. And, and I think st students are going to more and more want to have a say and to tell us what kind of 
education, what, what type of um, learning modules that will work for them. And in that, in that way, um, teachers will hopefully respond and try to create more creative courses away from the, the, um, the old classical mathematics, reading, writing, and arithmetic, because the world is, is asking for more creative learning. Students creating, uh, I mean, creating applications, um, programming, uh, creative, uh, let's say, learning. So that's happening already. But imagine that in the next decade, I think we're going to see a, a great improvement there. Yes, and you say that uh, this will promote uh, enjoyment and self-confidence, uh, and it would be very different because uh, I know my self-confidence was destroyed in school, and uh, I could only think of one thing, and that was uh, running away, whilst, in fact, learning is the greatest pleasure in the world. Greater pleasure, and that needs to come back into a young person's life, and also for them to get, for them to have the understanding that this is something creative that then they can take back out into the world, and hopefully relate it to a lot of the, the issues we have in the world to create, um, you know, solutions to that. Learning can be a learning should be something which we can apply, not just something that we just have in our heads and. You know, I remember, um, this is a true example, mm-hmm. I remember being in, in my mathematics class and we were learning sine and, and cosine and that. And I asked the teacher, you know, can you give me some examples of why do we need to know about these sine and cosine? And it, the two examples he said, which uh, you know, make me laugh today, one he said, imagine um, putting a ladder against a wall. Wouldn't you want to know the angle of that ladder? <laughs> or seeing a snowflake fall, wouldn't you want to know the angle of the snowflake coming in? And I thought, well, you know, <laughs> as, as prosaic as that may sound, it's not going to help anybody in the real world, you know? Um, and, and, and especially the state of the world we have today, we, we want young people to, to be engaged and to be motivated to create solutions to the world. And another thing is that in the next 10 years, we're going to see 3 billion new people connecting onto, onto, the, onto the Internet. Wow. Because the new connectivity is coming through the developing countries, through um, the African countries, uh, through India, through uh, Asia, through a lot of the Middle Eastern countries. That's where the surge of, of connectivity is coming. And so there, there, there have been... Um, Estimated that the, the three billion young minds or the of great connectivity is coming from that area of the world, and that area of the world has a great need to look for solutions. And also, uh, those three billion minds have been ones which so far have felt excluded from the global conversation. So put that together: people excluded from the conversation, mm-hmm. people with greater need yes. to find solutions, wanting to connect. I think there's a great area for creativity and solutions for the world right there. Absolutely. I love the way you say that um, uh, wisdom will replace cleverness. And, uh, well, I can see, I mean, when you're talking about having a conversation between people who've never been able to have a conversation before, I mean, the idea that, uh, oh, Africa is so far or China is inimaginable, but 
now been able to have a, a conversation with all the different parts of the rainbow could breed wisdom instead of just that cleverness. And, and I do, I do feel that because I feel wisdom is wisdom uh, is stimulated by um, by humans connecting with other humans because then we realize that actually we all want the same thing, which is peace, yeah. uh, betterment, development, and 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 to have empathy and compassion. And so it's the left brain, it's the cleverness which has been programmed into us to get on in the world, be better than your fellow man, rise to the top of the pyramid. That's the left brain industrial model. And, that's, and I feel that wisdom can be stimulated through uh, the, the right brain, also coherence and empathy by reaching out to across the world. And that, although we have unity, we have great diversity in that unity. So when I talk about the Phoenix generation, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I think there's a, let's say, maybe a, an initial reaction to think that that's going to come from the already established developing countries. No, I'm talking about the Phoenix generation, everyone yeah. being born around the world. And many of those voices will be coming up from the, from the lesser connected countries and the, the lesser heard uh, young people. And they're all going to be the phoenixes. They're all going to be wishing to rise up from the pre present predicament and wanting to create change. And they will be born as change because they will know instinctively that change has to occur because the old systems are dysfunctional. They're not equitable. Um, the old in systems of, of finances, of health and, and the media, education and technologies, these, these systems are not working uh, for the majority of people, and they have to be uh, for the future. And so that, I think, is motivation enough to put wisdom or greater wisdom into looking into our into solutions for our global problems. And, and I think a lot of um, the, the change and, and the solution will come from the younger people because they won't be as burdened as we are with this old conditioning and this, yes. this fear which, which runs through a lot of our, our societies. Yes, yes. And uh, you remind me that uh, sometimes I am completely astonished by the empathy that I feel from a 20-year-old or somebody in, in, in their 20s, a level of, uh, of compassion and empathy that uh, is, is just amazing. So I'd love for you to talk more about how you see and feel empathy and how it has grown in, in yourself and motivates you to write these maps in a certain sense, maps of our living situations. So well put, and, and empathy, I think, well, I, I felt great empathy by understanding and looking at what's happening in the world. And I, I sense that empathy is stimulated and wishes to connect. And that's why um, the values which I talk about, I call them, I call them the C values, you know, uh, connection, communication, compassion, consciousness, coherence. Um, these are what stimulate empathy. When we connect with others, especially others that we uh, have yet um, no experience of connecting with, and then when we feel that we, we share a common humanity, then that, that just stimulates empathy immediately. 
we realize that those people outside of our comfort zones, outside of our our proximities or our um, um, physical proximities, also those people outside of our known conditioning uh, knowledge base, um, when, when we see that common humanity in that, then it just immediately uh, stimulates the empathy because we realize that we're connecting on a different level, a level which is more heart-based. And I think we do have to move from, from the mind to the heart. And also, I, I feel that the, the values which are arising through the younger generation also is, is an understanding of, of feminine values. And when I say feminine values, I don't mean femaleness. And, you know, I feel that these values are values which perhaps have been stronger in, in females, but they are equally relate to males as well. I think these are human values which we need to embrace. And these are values of, of empathy and values of nurturance and connectivity. And I sense that technology is going to help that and the internet, now look at the internet. The internet has values, for example, not just internet, but technologies that we have of communication. They, they emphasize multitasking, communication, um, listening, um, and, and relating to one another, understanding one another, um, reaching out to different values, and, and also moving away from linear connectivity to a kind of circular, embracing connectivity. These are all values which, in a sense, are, are feminine values, in that, you know, where, where the top-down vertical systems have always been seen as being very male-based. For example, ecclesiastical organizations, the church, um, the workplace. It's always top-down hierarchical, mm-hmm. where um, meeting places, circles, gatherings, have always had a very feminine sense. And I think these are values which need to unify both male and female and, and bring us into a, a new awareness. And I, and I sense that um, a lot of young people that I'm speaking to, whether they're male or female, they, have, they understand these values. They get it. It's, it's us, the old generations, that don't yet get it or need to get it. And that's why I, I, when I wrote an introduction to the book, I actually said that this book that I'm writing may never be read by the Phoenix generation because it's not a book for them. It's a book for us to understand them so we can get them because they already get it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, I'd love for you to talk about the industrialization of illness and how you sense and know that... Uh, uh, things to do with health uh, will become very different. Another, uh, that's another major system which needs to um, really readapt. The industrialization of health, I think we all have realized that, or anyone um, who's been aware of the events know that um, the health industry is is greatly manipulated by the, the, the huge pharmaceutical corporations. And um, they make profits not from health, but from illness. And so it's not in their, in their benefit for, for humanity to be well. You know? And so this whole thing is completely topsy-turvy that we, you know, our, our health systems are run 
on an ideology of illness, uh, and that should not be. And 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 I I, I sense that there already the change is happening, um, and there's two things happening there. And I think one sense is that we're moving um, from our side and and our generation. We're starting to see the more the greater transparency of this industrialization of health. We're beginning to be aware, especially through the information flows that we're seeing, the alternative media, the independent media, are showing us the the corrupt nature of this health system. And so there's going to be greater, um, I think there's going to be greater um, exposure and and large-scale corruption being brought um, to to bear, being brought to to, um, highlight. Yes. So that's one that's one way which has already started now um, for example the, there's been uh, bigger um, bribery bribery claims and, and corruption claims so that's one wave and I feel that it's going to be matched from the other side of the wave of I say the Phoenix generation of young people coming up having an instinctual notice about health and and connecting more with their innate biological intelligence sensing when the body is ill, sensing that, um, let's say, having more trust and in self-diagnosis, and realizing that they don't have to rely on this, on this, um, well, basically losing confidence and faith in the orthodox diagnosis and orthodox medicine, and wanting to supplement that and find new ways of of, of health practices, and then realizing that coming to a stage where the emperor has no clothes, mm. and they're just going to point their fingers at the pharmaceutical lobbies and the pharmaceutical industry and say, you know, this, this is naked. This does not have our best interests at heart. We're no longer to, going to support it. We're not going to accept their their vaccines uh, or their, you know, their orthodox medicine just because they say so. We're going to look into it. We're going to trust our bodies, and we're going to sense um, what the health that we need to look into and investigate for ourselves. So these two waves coming together, one is the, uh, the greatest transparency and the corruption, the scandal, and the loss of faith in, in, in this megalithic um, industry being matched by a greater gnosis, a connection with the innate biology of each person's body and wanting to seek alternative therapies that they c- can connect with. When these two come together, and a huge loss of faith in the industry, I think, is going to bring a great shift about. Yes. I, I also love what you say about um, uh, recognizing DNA will be recognized as an unfolding process, not as a static. Yes. yes. Uh, well, I mean, I. I don't know where you wish to go with that, but it's a huge subject, and I, I sense that DNA is going to be a, a major breakthrough in the years ahead, um, because our understanding of it now is, is, is so limited, and, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a joke that all we have understood so far is that we only understand the 4% of our DNA, and therefore all that we understand about it is it's a protein-building and um, process. If it's static, it's just... Uh, it just relays messages to our body to, uh, to create the body, the, the RNA messages. And the rest of the 96% we don't understand. And it was called at one time junk DNA. <laughs> and, you know, this is, is 
is quite laughable that we have this incredible intelligence within us. And, and the latest findings in, in biophysics, if you permit me to get a little, a little technical with biophysics... Yes, we'd love um, it. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, you know, I'll keep it on a, on our language level yes. that we can understand. And what it's saying is that the DNA actually gives off biophotons, which is emissions of light, and it's these emissions of light which carry the messages through the body, not not just in the in the protein messages, which are in fact a lot slower. And so the the whole DNA in the body is a field of light. It's it's a it's a it's a, you know, illuminated field. So when, when when we hear about in the old scriptures about the you know the body giving off the halo or the light, yeah. well, in fact it's quite true because the body is a light field, and it's in constant communication, and that's how DNA really is is involved in the body and communicates instantaneous communication. So each part of the body knows instantaneously what's going on in the state of the other part of the body. And so I think my sense, my intuition is that um, certain transcendental practices and shamanism as well, um, they have connected with the intelligence of the DNA and, and, and been in communication with that. And I feel that that's also connected with health in that if we can connect through meditation with the information field of the DNA, we can learn also about illnesses and, and what's wrong with the body and, and how we need to rebalance that. And the more we understand that our DNA is a light field and therefore connects with the energy fields around us upon the earth, we are all connected fields, then that will really change our perceptions of, of who we are as a person, who we are as a connected species, and will also be part of the shift in our thinking, in our consciousness, and I think will be a big driver towards um, um, understanding that we need to move towards a planetary society. And the more our sciences understand about DNA, the more our physical sciences understand about the quantumness of the universe and how that connects with DNA fields, then I think we're going to see a great leap in understanding and understanding of, on that scale, the scale of connection and fields and how we all relate to one another will, I think, also shift our empathy and, and our compassion and, uh, and we'll understand then that we don't need these artificial barriers of nation, state and them and us. We are inherently connected. I, I find this uh, extremely thrilling. I very deeply feel that uh, my uh, DNA has changed due to my careful practice of uh, ingesting the healing medicines of the earth, and particularly uh, by uh, allowing uh, greater intake and exchange uh, of light. So... And to add to that, I, I, I would say that, as you rightly said, we can actually, um, let's say, shift the DNA or the DNA can respond to who yeah. we are within a lifetime. Thank you we for the language. Need... Yes. Yes, we, and that's, that's an important point to say is that because then if we understand that, we can understand that we can play a part. We can create change by, by changing ourselves. 
our very essence of ourselves, the mm-hmm. DNA, mm-hmm. can respond and readapt mm-hmm. um, in communication with us within our lifetime. And, and we don't need just um, to rely on, on the so-called genetic inheritance. Um, we can have that communication now, and that's why it's important to, to, to relate to that, Joanna. Oh, that's uh, wonderful, and I, um, I am so uh, grateful to, um, to understand that. Um, I have a, a question here, and in, um, in the time that remains for our generation, um, what is your guidance about how we can best prepare the ground for those who are coming now? I'm glad you asked because um, I think that the, the application of, of where we are is quite it was very important. And I refer to in the book that we are the bridge generation yeah. because uh, like we've had one foot on one side of the river and one foot on the other side welcoming the new generations. But we need to be balanced as well. If we are unbalanced or disturbed, we're not going to help the world today or ourselves, and we're certainly not going to help the new children arriving into the world if, if we are, uh, I say, unbalanced or have fear. So, in fact, we, we have a responsibility, and it may not be easy because we're dealing with the disruption and dysfunction of the world, and that does create a lot of um, let's say, um, distracting energies. Anxiety. And so we, you know, we have... Yeah, we have the responsibility to, to ground those energies and, and not, to be, not to allow ourselves to be played along with it. And so I think we, we need to understand the old world. We can't just brush it off. We have to understand it. We have to, what we, do, we have to know its vocabulary. We have to be aware of the way it works. But we have to create a distance. I think we have to make sure that we're not pulled into it because otherwise um, we play their game. We, we get trapped with their, their energies, and we get pulled along. And that's exactly what they want. So to give an example, yes. um, I think one of the, uh, the first wave of response from, from people when they understand the injustice in the world is that they want to protest against the system. And they want to, um, they, and sometimes that, that manifests as a, a violent protest. Now, that's understandable because we feel the injustice. But that plays into the hands of the incumbent powers because then it gives them justification to strengthen their status quo and to to put up the barriers. Where I would say that the second wave response is that we we have to walk around the wall. We have to create new models between ourselves that make the old models obsolete. And I think I'm paraphrasing Buckminster Fuller there mm-hmm. by saying that we don't protest or fight the existing systems head on. We create new models amongst ourselves that make the old models obsolete. So I think that is something that we can do, connect amongst ourselves, relate amongst ourselves, and be grounded and maintain our internal energy, not allow the psychic vampires in the world or the psychic vampires of the systems to drain us. We must allow a kind of objective balance, objective um, barrier that we can maintain our own energy, maintain our positivity in the face of this. And then that balance, that equilibrium of energy, we can pass on and we can pass on in a very uh, 
balanced, stable manner and voice to those coming in. Because imagine, for example, um, door-to-door salesmen. I mean, if someone came to your door and tried to sell you something in a frantic, unstable, chaotic voice, <laughs> you wouldn't buy from them, would you? No. No. So we have to be the salespeople of the new generation coming in. And so therefore we have to be balanced. So, um, you know, we, we, can, we can show them that we can do it and we are passing the baton on to them. And, uh, and so that's one thing I would say. Kingsley, um, you say that conscious awareness is the new tool for humanness. Would you tell us how you practice uh, expanding your conscious awareness? Well, I feel that one sense, one response to that is, is awareness and to be consciously aware. And, and that is a tool that um, is only recently, um, I think, slipped into the understanding of the human species before we were responding, let's say, more autom- automatically to our environment. But with, as we've discussed with the, 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 the increasing of human consciousness has also come about a great self-reflexivity and, uh, and looking at ourselves and the way we respond to the world. And that awareness, that mindfulness is a tool. So con- we have now the ability to consciously participate in the world and that is a choice that we, uh, we must each choose to take and how we wish to apply that. So on one level, we can increase that self-reflexivity and mindfulness through our own, let's say, meditative practices. And we can all choose our own path in that. There are so many paths to choose, and we should choose a path which we feel right for ourselves, whether it's active experimentation or, or, or more passive mindfulness. There are meditative practices. Um, but then the other stage is how do we apply that into the world? And I would say that with conscious awareness is awareness that we can make an impact even through smaller actions. We don't have to do grand global um, events. We don't have to walk through cities with a sandwich board saying, you know, declaring, declaring um, what we have to do, like, like they used to do with the world is nigh. Um, we can, just how we participate, the gestures we make amongst friends, how we relate to people, how we speak to people, the energy that we give to them, the compassion we share listening to people, communicating in our, in our social circles, and then if we choose to do, communicating and relating on a more global networks, more uh, through whatever, uh, the internet or, or through the programs like you are creating, and communicating to people uh, humanly, heart to heart, and bypassing in any uh, exterior conditionings of, of difference. All this and choosing to communicate on that creates incredible energy. And, for example, when you put two people together, you create a, a double energy or more. But when you, every, every number you add to that is an exponential energy. So the more that we relate to people consciously and use conscious communication and use gestures and energy of, of a, a constructive, positive nature, the more people we do that with, then the energy is exponential. So that conscious awareness, as, as I said, we don't have to make grand, 
global changing gestures. It, it's so important the smaller gestures we make in the world around us because that has a knock-on effect. And so, um, and that I think is a tool of consciousness which perhaps hasn't been highlighted enough, or certainly hasn't been talked about by the by the global powers because they know very well that the future um, is in the hands of the individuals. That's that's where the future lies, and that's where the energy lies because it lies within the power of change through human consciousness. Hmm. Kingsley, it's uh, been really wonderful to be together and. The time has come for me to ask you, what would you like to say in closing? Uh, thank you. I appreciate you always asking that, Joanna. And um, I can't believe the time has gone so quickly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Good. Well, what, I what I choose to say is that, um, that all the tools we need, all the resources that we need for change, we already have them. They're within ourselves. It's the case that we have to make our own search for that. And nobody can really um, tell us to do that. We have to make the choice. And from my own experience, uh, when I made the choice to look within, to go upon my own, my own search, my own path for change, uh, things happen. Uh, we may call them coincidences. We may call them serendipity. Um, but the world starts to connect in a different way because my feeling is that the world knows that we've made that choice to create that search and to respond differently. And the world starts to respond to us differently when we make those choices. So uh, we should choose not to live from fear. And we should make, we should make the understanding that um, the future is going to last a long time the future is not going to go away it's not going to it's not going to end and so it's going to happen through us and we have those resources and we should take time to uh, connect with that because we are the future and it's going to happen i thank you so so much for your presence with us 